Latter-day Saint Home Educators is pleased to bring you this audio presentation recorded live during the February 2023 online Midwinter Home Education Conference. And let's talk about reading more, lots more from the classics. So this isn't this presentation isn't for everybody. If you'd like to read more from the classics, this presentation is for you. If you would like to read uh, your kids to read more from the classics, this presentation is for you too. Because it turns out that the first step is you have to do it. Okay, everybody left now. I don't want to do that. I want my kids to do it. And so this is the one thing that you know, when I was working with Shannon Brooks and Monticello College, this is the one thing that TJ Ed gets right. If you've heard this before from them, it's not about them. It's about you because what happens is what you do, they'll do. Listen, my kids are into 80s music. Why are my kids into 80s music? Because I am. I, they're into disco. Why? Because I am. So it's really about what you're into that they're going to get into. We need to think in terms of master and disciple. And the master has to talk to the disciple about what's interesting to the master. And the disciple will talk to the master about what's interesting to the disciple. And so it goes back and forth in a loop. And you don't have to know as much as you may think. I know. I don't know how much of an introduction you guys have to me. You know, I read a thousand books over the last seven years. I've, you know, gone, I've, I've been educated by doing that which means nothing to do with school. I can tell you all about my schooling and degrees and studied at this university and that university. I'm not even naming the names or the degrees, right? I'm just telling you I've got them, but that's not it. That's schooling. Mark Twain distinguished between schooling and education. I make the same distinction. So my education comes from reading these books. You can do it too. Now, here's something else to think about. Uh, I get pushback sometimes with the moms because you just don't know, man. You the Kids, you know, Cooking, cleaning, shopping, all this stuff, right? Oftentimes, you know, we're looking at homeschool moms. I'm looking at the names here. Looks like I'm looking at homeschool moms, right? There's not usually homeschool dads. So here's what I did. So I started off with my kids as a homeschool dad when my wife said, our kids are teens. I'm feeling out of my depth. This happens to a lot of homeschool moms, right? I'm just out of my depth. I need help. She starts looking around. Well, why not dad? He's a college professor. Let's, let's ask him. And so then what dad does is dad becomes a full-time stay-at-home homeschool dad. But first, for a couple of years, I read everything I assigned my kids to read, 300 pages a week, plus whatever I had to read. As a professor, I had to read three hours for every hour I lectured. And I lectured three hours a week times usually six classes, right? So that's a lot of lecturing. That's a lot of reading, a lot of going back and forth, taking trains and cars and going back and forth in traffic and maybe hopefully sitting on the train reading, but I did it. And then I became a full-time stay-at-home homeschool dad. What have I done for the last three years? I upped the reading from 300 to 600 pages a week from primary sources, from Greece, from Rome, from the Middle Ages, from the Renaissance. I did all of that. And then I did more reading. I just can't help myself. I'm reading a couple hundred books a year. Um, you know, maybe a book or two every day or two, something like that. And you can do this in the amount of time that most people watch TV. So in just a few hours a day, you can read a couple of hundred books a year. That's without even counting the time that people spend scrolling on Facebook or whatever other social media apps that people spend their time on. So I did that and I did it while cooking, cleaning, shopping, 
driving kids all over the place, right? The ballet lessons and the piano lessons. I did all of this. So it can be done. It really can be done. Sometimes it just means, you know, turning off the TV. Sometimes it means listening to a book while you cook or while you take a walk or while everybody's together. So I want to talk about some of the things that I've done to help create the culture in our family where everybody's reading and they're reading from these great books. The first thing I did is I required it. The second thing I did is I inspired it. So I'm borrowing again some TJ Ed language one more time. So I did require it. They say inspire, don't require. I required it because, um, you know, if you don't require it, then maybe they don't even try it out. There's this rule of 50. I don't know if you've heard about it. I'm about to give a lot of tips. So write them down. If this is recorded, hopefully it's recorded. Write them down or watch the recording and then write them down, right? So the rule of 50 says, if you are 50 um, or below, how does it go? If you're 50 or below, you, you put in, 50 pages. But if you're above 50, then you can subtract from 100 your age and put in that many pages. This means our kids have to go at least 50 pages before they can give up on a reading. For me, I wasn't really, really willing to let them follow that rule. Maybe that's a good rule for you. But my rule was, you just have to read this. But then I read it too. I told you, I said, you can't complain to me and tell me it can't be done because you're a full-time student. I'm a full-time professor and I'm still doing this, right? So if I can do it, you can do it. Now, okay, you have more experience reading. That's true. And that's one of the secrets. Sometimes people ask if you speed read, is that how you do it? But before I go into some more of these tips, let me just share with you a little bit of background of why do this. And I love that I can come to this particular homeschool conference. This is the first time I can say this. I usually speak at one or two a year, and I've been doing that for years. And as we've gone through this program with my kids, what I can say today is I now have two kids in college and both of them are on the dean's list, and both of them tell me, dad, college is easy compared to homeschool. Mission accomplished. This is what I wanted to hear. This is exactly what I was going for, right? I had students as a college professor who had never even heard of Plato. They don't even know the name. Plato, you mean, you know, the, the, the stuff that you make things? Like? No, I'm talking about the philosopher, Plato, no? and they'd never even heard of him. I wasn't even expecting them to have read them. I just wanted them to, to have heard of them. So with my kids, they, uh, pretty much anything that they've been assigned to read in college, they say either, oh, I've already read that, but let's read it again. Sure, why not? Wait, you want me to read it in how many weeks? I read that in one week, you know? Or they might say, okay, I, I know where that fits into the great conversation. So there is a great conversation here. I'll go into that. The idea for the model is born from the... From, ultimately from a classical education model, which if you find out about the trivium and how that works, why you're doing this, you know, you're learning to think. It seems like it's all about doing at school. I'm here to talk about thinking, not just doing. And what happens is it's interesting because if you study doing or you study thinking, it turns out that you can do better after you studied thinking than after you'd studied doing. I mean, on the one hand, they can train, you know, practically train monkeys to do computer coding and whatnot. On the other hand, what are even tech CEOs looking for? Even tech CEOs, they're looking for people trained in the humanities because they want people who know how to think. And so you want to be able to have new thoughts. Okay, so that's a little bit about why I do it. The classical model was sort of altered a little bit. 
not, not really altered. They're doing the same thing in the Renaissance. But what they said is, okay, how are we going to approach this classical education? We're going to read several things. We're going to read from, we're going to study grammar. That's Latin and Greek included. I'll give you a reason why to study a little Latin and Greek, even if you never learn Latin Greek. I, I have my kids study Latin. This is required. Some of them, some of them asked me to teach them Greek. I was over the moon, man. Dad, will you teach us Greek? Uh, yeah, sure. No problem. By the way, my wife is the one teaching Latin. I had already studied Greek and Latin at university while I was teaching at university, which by the way, again, I'm doing this at 50 something, right? I'm 53 now. So I guess, you know, late forties, early fifties, I did this. Um, it was a, a benefit for anybody teaching at the university could take any classes. Does anybody do this? I don't know that anybody did it. I did. I said, you're offering me free Latin and Greek classes? Sign me up, man. Let me take French and Portuguese while I'm at it. I did that too. So that's available. And so my wife is teaching Latin. She doesn't know, but a little more Latin than, our, than her students, than our children, right? So you don't have to know Latin to teach Latin. You just have to be one lesson ahead of who you're teaching. And when you take this master disciple approach, then you realize, okay, I do have to keep learning. And you're going to be looking into the secondary sources. You're going to be reading ahead. You're going to be reading ancillary related stuff, things like this. Now, I don't really care if my kids learn Greek or Latin. What I want for them to learn is English. And it turns out that the best way to learn English is, well, okay, there's reading a lot. We've already talked about that. And then Greek and Latin, because Greek and Latin are highly inflected languages. They force you to pay attention to grammar. And that's what we want, to pay attention to grammar. And the point of this is to learn to be a fully expressed human being, that whatever it is you have inside you can come out. And that's the point, right, of the classical education is that you can be a fully expressed human being. And so the Renaissance humanists I'll give you an example of what it looks like first when you're not. I had a, uh, a young man come to one of my, I was having these lectures in my living room once upon a time. Every weekend, 20, 30 people came giving these lectures. This kid interrupts me. He's really excited. He's got something to share. And he just says, you know, I mean, it's like, I'm just, you know, you know, I'm like, no, I don't know. You, you haven't said anything. Right. It's like I can tell you really have something you want to say, but he just didn't have the language. He didn't have the ability to express himself. Remember, express is the same as, you know, take a, a lemon and squeeze it. Right. We want something to come out. It, he, this was all bottled up inside him. So that's what we want is we want to be fully expressed human beings. What are the what is this about? It's a reading. It's about reading the right books and the right books are not hard to figure out because these are the books that have formed the greatest minds and echoes of which we find in all the other books. You know, if you ask my kids about Hunger Games, yeah, they know Hunger Games, but they also know that Hunger Games is just an imitation of a Japanese story that is just an imitation of an ancient Roman story of Spartacus and an ancient Greek story of Theseus, right? They know all of this. And they, maybe they've read the books, maybe they've seen the movies, but they also have read Spartacus's story. They've read Theseus's story. They know, how, they know that J.K. Rowling, whom they also love, they, my kids all love Harry Potter. Their mom introduced them to Harry Potter. They know this, but they know that J.K. Rowling is a classicist. Where is she getting her ideas? She's a classicist, guys. Okay, so these are the kind of things that we're going to read. They're going to form and shape our minds. When I say our, I mean you and your kids, right? Not just your kids, you and your kids. So there's that. And what is, uh, what is that the humanists want us to read? They want us to study grammar. They want us to read rhetoric, poetry, history, 
moral philosophy. Moral philosophy, we can break down into two parts, what's ethics and what's politics. So let me just give you an example. So um, some examples, that is, of what kind of books I'm talking about. You can always go to modelsofexcellence.org and there you can find the whole curriculum, although it needs to be updated, but you get a pretty good idea. There's links, um, the translations I recommend. I'll talk to you a little bit more about translations too as we go through this. Okay, so for grammar, here's what we did for grammar. We read Reasoning with Vampires. This is a website by someone critiquing the writing in Twilight. It's a great way to learn grammar. I'll just leave that at that. And then for rhetoric, we read books like Aristotle's Rhetoric, Pseudo-Aristotle's Rhetoric to Alexander, Cicero's work, um, the Cicero, um, the Pseudo-Ciceronian Rhetoric to Herennius, Quintilian, those kinds of works on rhetoric. Poetry, I'm talking, when I say poetry, you know, you may think of, I don't know, William Blake or Shakespeare, right? And that's fine. I'm talking about these epic poems like the Gilgamesh, the oldest story that comes down to us, 4,000 years old, awesome story. I read it, I think I read it five times this week. I love that book. I read five different translations this week. I read it at least a half a dozen times a year. What else? Um, the Iliad, the Odyssey, the Aeneid, Jason and the Argonauts. I'm writing a book where AI comes into play. And I'm going to go all the way back to Talos, right? And Jason and the Argonauts, it's the first robot. If I'm going to write about robots and AI, I'm going to go all the way back to ancient Greece. So I have that kind of grounding. I got it with my kids. I, got, I didn't have it before. My, yes, I had degrees. I didn't have an education. That's schooling. Okay, so you can do this too. History, books like um, Plutarch's Lives wasn't intended to be history, but because the history that Plutarch used to write these biographies, these lives, these bios, um, we use him as a historical source because we don't have his sources. So he's an example. You have other Greek, uh, Greek and Roman historians. Herodotus was my kid's favorite read from everything they read in Greece. You know, we watched, uh, we read the Iliad and the Odyssey. We watched the movie Troy, Clear Play Filtered. And my kids, one of them wanted to know, how did Helen get to Troy? Now that's in the movie, but I told them that they had already read the story and they know it's not in the story. So now it turns out there are all these other myths and there are these Greek plays that you can read. I said, let's start with Herodotus. And we go into Herodotus and this boy eats it up. He said, I took him to the store and his mom said, now you made him get that book. It's his birthday. Let him choose. No, he chose the book. I made him sit down with me in the store to read it together to make sure he really wanted it. Because I thought, really? You want the Okay, great. You know, the, I, the family culture is working on him already. He was our latest reader, by the way. Not everybody has to learn to read at the same time. If somebody's quote unquote behind, guys, that's not a thing. This is homeschooling. There's no such thing as behind. People just are where they are. Uh, my wife has grades for my kids. I, what does that mean? They're not grades. They're people, right? They're not in a grade. They're in, they have an age. They've made a few trips around the sun, maybe, right? But you know, different strokes for different folks. Okay, so the kids, they love this stuff. Herodotus was one of their favorites. By the way, there are books that they didn't like. Some of the, one of them I dropped from the curriculum. If I'm sharing it with you, it won't be there anymore, right? Uh, another one I said, too bad, so sad. That's just what we're reading, you know? But they have their favorites. They have the ones they like the most, the ones they like the least. Another example of uh, poetry, the kind of poetry I'm talking about is Beowulf, the owl and the nightingale. There's all kinds of stories. Then you have books on moral philosophy, Aristotle's Nicomachean Ethics, some Platonic dialogues. 
and so on and so forth, moving through uh, the, even Machiavelli. You know, we've read so much stuff. Now, what translations to read? People ask me this all the time, so I'm just going to preemptively answer it. I say the newer trans, the newer the translation, the better as a general rule, because these these works have to be updated. And I've seen too many people go into buying the cheapest copy, which it's cheap because it's out of copyright. It's so old, right? And so they don't like the work and it turns, they say they don't like the work. It turns out it's the translation that's getting in the way. But this isn't always the case, which is why ultimately I'm going to say, go to the bookstore, pick up multiple translations, read the same part and find whichever one speaks to you because there are always exceptions. One of my favorite translations of the Bhagavad Gita is by Sir Edwin Arnold. You can get that in the Dover Thrift Edition, which, by the way, my kids revolt if I try to get them to read from Dover Thrift Editions. They're at a point where they do so much reading that they, they, don't, they don't fall for these pretty looking books at the bookstore that nobody would actually want to read out of or stuff like Dover Thrift Edition. Where, Dad, the paper's too white. They don't have to tell me. I know the paper's too white. It reflects too much light. Or what were they thinking? It's even glossy. You know, come on. Where's the leading between the lines? So you don't want to make this onerous on yourself. I'll tell you, we read Plutarch from an edition that's just awful. But it's it would be so expensive to buy the newer translations in all the separate editions. So we just got the complaint. And that's one that everybody's allowed to complain about. And we all get it. There's not enough leading between lines. There's not enough margins. There's not enough of font size. So think about these things. You don't want to just make it harder on yourself by reading these books that are designed for people who make money selling books. They're not designed for readers. So find the ones that work for you. Okay. Here are the tips. I just have just this long list of tips. Somebody said audiobooks are valid. Sure. Look, I think of an audiobook. I listen to a lot of audiobooks because if I'm riding my bike, if I'm cooking dinner, if I'm whatever, like taking a road trip, our kids stayed quiet in the car by listening to books. When the kids are at their youngest, we want them to bathe in language. We want them to bathe in myth, in stories. And we want to talk talk about these things and share them. People nowadays think you can't go for a, a, a car trip without a video. This isn't true. I know it's not true because I don't have one. I just put on the audiobook and the kids, nobody fights. Everybody's in, you know, just they sync up. There's something about this that happens to us, whether we watch movies together, whether we listen to books together, we sort of sync up in our brains and we sit quietly and enjoy together. The other thing I did is I sat my kids down I'd come home from the university, sit in my favorite chair, turn on the lamps. Everybody grabs something to do quietly with your hands. Keep the hands busy, right? Coloring books, um, drawing, building with blocks or cards. You know, you can build with cards too, but nothing interactive. I don't want anybody talking to anybody else. Everybody stays, you know, in their own little activity and listen. I'm performance reading and they wanted to read. Let's read the Iliad and then Fahrenheit 451. The Odyssey. Um, 1984, the Aeneid, and what is it? Uh, the Brave New World, right? So they wanted to read these dystopias with these classic, you know, epic poems. Okay, awesome. Let's do it. Now, where'd they get the idea? They got it from me, right? It's yes, our kids get to choose, but we're the ones who choose the choices, right? We're the ones who choose. I put the best books in my kids' rooms on bookcases next to their beds before they ever went to a library. And then off they went to the library and bought home, brought home other stuff. And you think, come on, honey, why are you going to go to the library? They have a library right here. 
So my wife, you know, by the way, she really thought I was totally unreasonable to expect my kids to read these 300 pages a week. And then it became 600. And then when the little kids come up, the younger siblings, of course, we read 600 pages a week. We can probably up it to 900. They wouldn't even, it's like, this is just what we do. This is the family culture, right? So you have then um, audiobooks are a possibility. I consider them a first read. You know, any book worth reading is worth reading twice, you know, so that's, and rereading is a thing too. Bringing a book with you everywhere you go. A friend of mine attributed a quote to Samuel Johnson. We couldn't trace it down. So I'm just going to say Travis Patton said this. Travis says you should bring a book with you in case the people you're with are boring. Now, before you scoff or laugh or whatever, remember you're doing this with your phone. So just do it with a book instead, right? Uh, and then Lemony Snicket in Horseradish says, never trust anyone who has not brought a book with them. We, I say this, you didn't bring a book with you. Who are you? Right? Now, there's this idea that if you just read anything, just get them to read anything. I'm talking about reading the great books. I'm talking about reading the originals of the stories. I'm talking about reading that may be a little bit harder at first. But here's what happened. This is an LDS context I'm speaking in, right? So, okay, we have the scripture stories. In the scripture stories, you don't get Elizabethan English like you get in King James Bible. Well, okay, why do we do that? Because, you know, the kids aren't ready for Elizabethan English. They're just little kids, right? This is what we thought, too. We did this with, you know, four out of five kids. By the time we got to the fifth kid, we said, no, no amount of reading scripture stories is ever going to get you ready to read Elizabethan English. The only way to get ready to read Elizabethan English is to read it. So let's read. And so we take turns reading out loud. And that's a perfect time. Family scripture study. You just read one verse. Everybody takes a term. We're all patient while the youngest, you know, most struggling reader gets through his one verse or whatever. You just have to be patient, right? So then I don't know about that. I, I see people, you know, I have, I'm not going to name names. I see people who they're not graduating from the romance novels. I'm not sure that if you just read something, anything, eventually you'll end up in the right place. But we all do all have our own individual past of all. I just believe in putting the best choices before my kids. And by the way, again, it's what I know, right? So I'm, I'm sharing with them what I know. That's all we can do. And, the, and their friends at school are sharing what they know. And it's important to have somebody to talk to about what you're reading. That's why, again, as parents, we read together with our kids, because otherwise, who are they going to talk to? My kids are telling me all the time, we don't have anything to talk about. We didn't read that. They didn't read this. What do we talk about? We don't watch TV. They do. What do we talk about, right? So you just find uh, the right tribe, the right crowd that you want to hang with. Birds of a feather stick together, right? Book clubs are made for that. Book clubs are a great idea too, because they give you a deadline. Sometimes having that deadline matters. The tail end. This is an important point. If you're in, you can Google this. I'm not going to tell you the answer. Find out how long women, you're all women. Uh, maybe there's, uh, there is a couple here pictured. Uh, so whether you're a man or a woman, you can find out how long you're going to live on average, right? We don't know how long you're going to live, but we can find out on average, how long do people live in my neighborhood these days? And the answer is for guys, it's 80 something. I don't know for gals, you know, you find out and then you say, okay, how many books are you reading now? How many books a week or a year are you reading? Okay. So if take your age, if I'm 53 and I'm going to be living, live till I'm 83, that gives me 30 more years, right? If I live to the average length. So the question is, what do I want to read in the next, when do I want to get read in the next 30 years, right? This is so important. It's the same goes for family, right? Once I told my kids, once you move out of the house, your time with mom and dad is so brief. 
right? You're not going to get that much time. Your grandparents, when they come, you got to be present to them. You see them maybe once or twice a year, and before you know it, they'll be gone. So the same applies to the reading. It's what am I going to read if I can only read this much in my lifetime? Well, then all of a sudden, you know, I start looking at the bookcase and I think for each, you know, shelf, what's the one book I want to make sure I don't miss? Something like that, right? People ask me if I speed read. No, I don't speed read. That's it's not it. It's putting in the time. It's putting in the time. And there is one other trick or, or tip, right? And that is the more you read of something, the easier it becomes. So if assuming you've never read any philosophy, if you pick up a philosophy book, that's book one for you. If I pick up the same philosophy book, that's book number I've lost count for me. I've been reading philosophy for 14 years, right? So it's going to be different. It's going to be faster and easier for me to get through that reading than it is for you, which reminds me, we got to have a sense of how long it takes us to get through reading. I would ask my students, how many pages an hour do you read? in the college, you know, and they would say, I don't know. And I say, well, how do you budget time for homework? Do you just, oh, this should be about enough time. You can't just guess at this, right? You have to know. And of course, different kinds of reading, again, philosophy is one thing, reading a novel is another, but you got to get a sense. And the week starts, every week starts at the Hurtado household by saying, okay, this is the reading this week. How many pages is it? How many days do I want to read? Because it's up to them if they read Saturdays. You know, whether they want to read five days or six days is up to them. And then you divide it. You just divide it up. I'm writing a book that requires me to reread Dune. That's six books, 3,688 pages. I know what to do. I watch my kids do it every week. I've done it too. I divide it up and I say, okay, I can read that in one month. No problem. I just spend a few hours a day. If I only spend two hours a day because I'm reading something else, then two months, but I can do it. And they, they get that sense. You know, they've told me they got the sense that they can, you know, they had books like Anna Karenina or War and Peace on the shelf, but they thought before they thought, how do I, you know, when would I even finish that? Why bother starting it? But now they look at it and they say, oh, I can do that. And they just divide it up. Okay, it's going to be a week or two. No problem. So there is layered reading, of course, um, maybe not speed reading, but layered reading. Um, I recommend, I'll just recommend, recommend a book. I recommend how to read a book by Mortimer Adler. His book, if, especially if you can get the first edition, the first edition is better than, than the others. There'll be a rush for that one. Buy it right now, but, but don't stop paying attention, right? Because that one's harder to get, but even the second edition is fine. So the more you read, the easier it becomes. And then one book leads to another. You know, when I was learning speed reading, which I know how to do it and I've taught it, um, if you're going to read really fast tracking with your finger and then get to the bottom of the page and then think about turning the page, you just lost all the time you saved because you didn't think ahead about turning the page. So I would do this and I would reach over with my left hand, ready to turn that page because, and this was in grad school, trying to get through more reading than is even reasonable. And I didn't have the experience that I have now reading with my kids. So it's maybe more reasonable for me than it was then. Back then it seemed totally unreasonable. So one book leads you to another, same idea. Don't wait till you finish one to think about what to read next. I've got a, you know, I've got my pile waiting to be read because then you just lose time thinking about what to read next. And every book will lead you to other books. There are delightful books like um, The Education of a Wandering Man by Louis L'Amour. That's all about his reading. Oh, what a treasure. It's a book full of book recommendations. I love that book. If you're wondering how, where do you get the time to do this? Again, uh, you know, Ryan Holiday, who's a New York Times bestselling author, would say, 
and he reads a couple hundred books a year too. He was, he was uh, one of the ones who inspired me, him and his master. Uh, he's the disciple of Robert Greene. You know, he says, where do you find time to eat? Where do you find time to sleep? In other words, if this is important to you, you will find the time, right? So by the way, you can read while eating. Uh, I do that sometimes, probably not with a book book. You know, I, I use my Kindle, you know, don't want to get food on my book. That's just me. And you can also trade sleep for reading time. I mean, come on, you can, right? It can be done. Uh, for a while there, what I had to do was put everybody to bed when kids were smaller. And even my wife, I would read to her a couple of pages. She's asleep. She just loves listening to my voice. She falls asleep. And then I put down that book and pick up another one. And I would spend two to four hours, you know, till reading till one or two in the morning and getting up at eight or nine. But it just depends on what you're up to, right? You have to find the time and the place that works for you. That was the quietest time, especially reading philosophy. I had to have that quiet time. It just depends on what you're reading. Yeah. So scheduling things, you know, screen time. I'll tell you a story. You know, I met a, a director of a, an elite private school with schools in Utah, uh, Nevada, and California. He told me that he had parents coming to register their, their kids for his school who were kindergarten age. That's why they're being registered. And they don't know English, meaning they don't actually speak English. They're, they're not foreigners, by the way. Sorry. They don't know. They're nonverbal. That's what I'm trying to say. They're nonverbal. Why? Because they grew up with an iPad in their hands. This, so for me, I would go all the way with Steve Jobs, who invented the iPad and said, I would never give my kids one. Never. You know, no, we don't do that. He knows better. He's the inventor. Setting a goal makes a difference, right? I have my goal. Every year on Goodreads, I put up there, I'm going to read 200 books this year. And then by the way, you know, some of the books are shorter. Some of the books are longer. At the end of the year, Honestly, they add up to more than 200 if you divide them up by the average length of a book, you know, even though because some are a thousand pages, some are 150 pages, it all adds up, but you just do whatever inspires you. I feel like, you know, I want to get my book in every day and that works for me or whatever it is that my goal is. And so if I feel like I'm behind, well, then I'll just read some shorter books. They're on my list. It's not like I'm reading something just to read a short book. It's a book I wanted to read, but I just, you know, get myself back on track by going into some shorter books. Okay. Now I'm back on track. I'm on goal. Having that goal and, and having a streak. I know I find streaks really helpful. I really learned that from Duolingo, you know, when I just, I didn't want to lose my streak. And so I got this app called streaks on my iPhone and I put all the stuff that I want to do every day on it. And I get the same kind of inspiration. You know, when it comes to talking about the books you read, again, you want to talk about these all the time, right? That's what, another reason why you're reading the same thing. If you have kids different ages, my kids who are assigned to read stuff, um, they, maybe their younger siblings aren't, so we can still talk about it with them. We can maybe watch the movie. And for my kids, the rule of thumb is you have to read the book before you watch the movie. But if I have younger kids, I'll just let them watch the movie and they'll get to read the book later. Or if I have kids interested right now, somebody got interested in Frankenstein. They already have 600 pages a week of assigned reading. They can listen to the audiobook, right? I'll let them do that. You can listen to the audiobook. My kids have phones only for audiobooks and music. There's no internet access. There's no phone calls. There's no text messages. It's so that when you go to the ballet studio and everybody's talking and watching videos on their phones, 
you can focus, you put on your headphones and you're able to read. And so that you can listen to books while you do your chores or before they fall asleep or whatever they want to do with that. So when they come to the dinner table, this is just an example, right? This is one of the time my kids, as much as they've read, they can talk to my, my friend, you know, David Peck, my co-author on this book I'm working on. He's a humanities professor, retired. They can talk to him. They could talk about Sir Gawain and the Green Knight with him or whatever, right? Uh, they're not, as homeschool kids, they're already not siloed into talking people that are talking to people only their age. And as these, you know, great readers, they have, they can be in the conversation. But at the same time, they come to the table and they still talk nonsense. They're teenagers. I just redirect that. I don't want to hear it. That's just personal. Like, I, I don't want, we're not going to talk nonsense. What are you reading? Talk to me about that. What are you reading? And if we're reading the same thing, we can have that dialogue. And if we're reading different things, okay, great. Then I really want to know about what you're reading because I haven't read it. And I'm going to tell you about what I'm reading because you haven't read it or your experience of the same thing that we read at different times. So I do that. I think having a lot of books around really makes a difference. Again, we're talking about forming a family culture. I have 7,000 books in my personal library. My wife has so many bookcases of her own in her study. My kids have their own. My youngest daughter said to me, dad, you know, I was just looking at my books and I said, these are my books. And she has this sense of satisfaction. This is my library. She says, looks around. I can't imagine how you must feel dad. Wow. Right. Cause you've got all of these books surrounding you. I made it a point in my study uh, in this house, not to have uh, not to be surrounded by books in my study, to focus on the one on my desk, but they are everywhere else in the house. So you're building a library. My kids, you know, as we get them through this reading, they're getting their own copy too. They mark up their copies. These are their copies. And so they're building their own library. Um, as one of them is about to go away to school, she's applying to, she's doing her first two years at a community college. She's applying. That's one trick, by the way, if you, you know, coming out of homeschool, it's not that you can't do otherwise, but it's so easy to just go into the community college. It's free here for her for a couple of years. She's applying to Ivy League schools. That's where she's headed next, right? So she wants to take all her books with her. And the sisters, they look at it and they say, hmm, I guess I'm going to have to get my own copy of that book. Because they were thinking of these books as all theirs. Now they've separated them out. And they realize, oh, I'm going to have to get my own copy of that book. I don't have one, right? Going to the bookstore all the time. Going to the library all the time. Going to the used bookstore and the new bookstore and building your own library, all of this. Another tip, you know, to develop as a reader is to, to realize, yes, some of these books are above your level, but reading books above your level is really helpful to exercise the muscle, right? There are books that are like cotton candy and cotton candy tastes good, but it just dissolves to nothing, right? It really has no substance, right? I think that's why it's such a great metaphor. So there's cotton candy reading, and then there's the, the deeper reading. I go into books where even for me as a philosopher, they're hard books. You know, I can think of one on uh, a brief history of the soul. And I look forward to rereading it because of the challenge that it is to me. My kids say they found um, that they could read a variety of books. Somebody asked my daughter, you know, what do you like to read? All kinds of stuff. So she was already a reader before she got into reading with me, but she didn't have the breadth, right? The, the, the wide variety of books. And now she's been introduced to that. And again, you know, they're reading all these different genres. We create, I created a program for them. This is the Hurtado version of Easier. Since they were reading 300 pages a week of primary sources from, you know, Greco-Roman, medieval, and Renaissance sources, 
then when mom wanted them to have, she's a state certified teacher and, you know, the supervisor of teachers and things like this. And they want to, she wants them to graduate. I don't, I didn't graduate high school. I don't care if my kids graduate high school. I'm a, I'm a college professor who didn't graduate high school. It's not the only way, right? There's, there's more than one way to skin a cat. So, but she wanted them to have us history literature. We created this course where you just read biographies. We just read a biography every week. Um, they loved it. They love reading biographies. And what do, what do my kids get? They get that nobody's a good guy or a bad guy. That's not right. We're all good guys and bad guys at the same time. Depends on when you catch us, right? There's shorter books and longer books. Again, I talked to you about that, how I take advantage of that. And then older and newer. It's so important. Most of the books we're talking about in this context of this conversation is about reading these older books, but you want to read both. C.S. Lewis uh, mentioned this. He says, look, every era has its blind spots. Your blind spots are not known to you because, well, that's why we call them blind spots, right? But we can look into the past and we can see, oh, they had blind spots. And so you start to get a sense, just like when you learn a second language, you get a better sense of what language is in and of itself. You'll get a better sense of what blind spots look like and maybe be better able to identify your own blind spots. Finally, reading chronologically, even though, again, I talked about we can go back and forth, like I told you I did with my kids on those dystopias and um, classics, you know, classic um, epic poetry, right? But at the same time, we can just um, read chronologically for I don't know how much time I have left, probably none. I'm willing to take questions. Those are some tips. So I'm coming on kind of late. Uh, so, um, thank you, this has been fantastic. All right. <laughs> uh, uh, but my question, oh, you mentioned that you have a good reading account would you would you be willing to share that i would love to follow you on goodreads sure i'm christopher hurtado i don't know how that works oh. just i have lots of google <laughs> juice if you just google christopher hurtado i have more google juice than the hollywood actor who has my name uh, you know i was oh yeah i was putting i'm putting the books i read on my personal blog christopherhurtado.com there's a page there where i put all my books although i'm usually too busy reading books to update it but I think it's updated through the end of last year. Since the end of last year, I've probably read, well, a book a day for the last couple months now. So I'll catch up. Eventually, I'll sit down and uh, update that. And I, I intend to write some reviews there, too. Maybe I'll write some things about the books eventually. You're, you're also not coming up on Goodreads when I just search your name. Oh, really? Oh, wow, that's interesting. Um, I'm there. I'll try to find it while you guys ask me more questions. How about that? any other questions okay. um so someone did put a question in the chat oh sorry christina unless you want to do it i've kind of took <laughs> i kind of took over your mod position okay um someone says um do you speak spanish are there any books you recommend in original language oh yeah sure my kids and i read don quixote right i mean don quixote is a great yarn you have to understand so plato is easier to read than reading about plato and sometimes we think, oh, I need a textbook or something. I'm going to read about Plato. No, don't read about Plato. I read Apology, the dialogue Apology, as a bedtime story. My kids loved it. I just sat in the hallway between the rooms and I read this. It took a while, right? Um, you can also, it's a dialogue with, between two people. So you could also get you know, your spouse involved in playing the, the, one of the parts. But yeah, Don Quixote is a great read. Um, I, I have Spanish. I read Spanish, Portuguese, Italian, French, Arabic. 
I'm a, I'm a hyper polyglot too. Oh, looks like somebody found you. Oh, yeah. Somebody what? Oh, good. How does your homeschool not right? Oh, sorry. Sorry. They're they're trying to confirm if that's you or not. Oh, it looks uh, like your name's spelling. So <laughs> I can look at the. I can click on it. Oh, it's H U R T A D O. Oh, is that the trouble? That's me. Yeah, that's me. That is you. Oh, because it's spelled uh, H O. Yeah. See, this is more up to date than my than my own website. I'm doing myself in here. See, it would be nice if I could say my my website has more to offer than Goodreads, right? <laughs> it's I'm behind updating it, but I just click them off as I read them. I, I read a couple of books today before doing this. I have a couple of podcasts to record too, and I made dinner. So, you know, it's, you can do this. I'm telling you, you can do this. If you okay. choose to do it, you can do it. Go ahead. Um, what does your homeschool day look like then? Because I have a couple of one of my sons in particular will disappear with a book all the time. Oh, that's great. Which I love. Um, but I, like, I also have the structure that I want to, but I'm curious of how you, do you just send them off to just sit and read? Cause I, I would personally. Yeah. You know, there's, there's a lot of that when they're all teens, right? This is, they're all teens. Now, again, my wife taught my kids how to read. I have no idea how to do that. That's a mystery to me. But as soon as she taught them how to read, then I came in, I said, okay, we're going to learn how to read fluently. And now we're going to learn how to read deeply. You see, so there's reading and then there's reading. I don't know how to teach someone to read from nothing, but I know how to teach them to read more fluently. We always did that with, um, what's the story? It's the one, um, Alice in Wonderland. Love that story. That was the first book they read with dad, right? Not, not like I'm reading you a bedtime story, but I know how to read now. And I did that with mom. And now I'm going to go with dad and we're going to read this book. So my kids get up before I do. They go to early morning seminary here in Bakersfield, California. And uh, I tend to stay up late reading and get up a little later, eight or nine. My wife is up early. You, you got to figure out what works for you, right? She's teaching Latin before she goes to work in the morning. And then they're going off to read. And then I'm making dinner and we're all coming together to talk about what, are reading, what we're reading. They have ballet in the evenings. You know, uh, certain days kids have piano lessons. They are working on, as teens, they're mostly working on their own or tutoring each other. Or they're tutoring with mom on math and science a couple of days a week before she goes to work and a couple of days a week Latin. And then they get together with me for Greek. And we do that, you know, same, you know, uh, after dinner, let's all, you know, do do the dishes, clean up the kitchen, come sit down and study Greek. Okay. And someone asked, uh, Stephanie asked, do they write as well or just? Oh, yes, of course. I'm sorry. Yeah. So, okay. We, we weren't really talking about how to read. We're talking about how to read more, right? So when we talk about how to read, they're commonplacing, number one. Anything that sticks out to you when you're reading, you write it down in a commonplace book. Um, they're also writing, uh, respond. I have the little kids will read maybe an excerpt from, I've got this great book. I think it's of gods and men by Daisy Dunn. And so before they joined the models of excellence program, when they're younger, I would have them read an excerpt from that book. It has all these excerpts from all the classics that they're eventually going to read. And then I want them to write me their own summary, their own telling of that story and draw a picture. I've got some great retellings. I've got some great drawings of um, the birth of Venus, you know, all kinds of good stuff. So they do that. And then as they, as they get older, we're having them write uh, papers 
on the literature they're reading. One of my favorite papers my kids wrote, they wrote a hero's journey paper on Beowulf. There weren't any out there. I checked because, you know, even though I control their internet access, we're not about screen time around here. We do watch movies. We watch movies every weekend. We love watching movies. My wife wishes we would play more, uh, whatever board games. We just, sit down and watch movies together. And we, 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 we've either read the book or we're, we're watching the movie to see how is the story told? How's this done? I've got kids reading screenplays. I think they're crazy. Although I, I thought reading plays was crazy too. And now I'm hooked. I, I read, you know, um, Shakespeare and Greek tragedy. Sometimes the same plays, I'll read them six days in a row, you know, and I'll read them six times a year or whatever. They're just books that I read and reread. And those are some of them. So they're also, yeah, they're writing those papers. They're, the capstone paper I designed for my kids, they took one of the virtues of the cardinal virtues. So as they're reading through all this reading, they're looking for the cardinal virtues. Another thing, I'm actually paying for stuff that I didn't take down that I wish I had. I want all references to cheese in the reading. Yes, cheese, the one you know that, that my seed. If the cheese, if Dr. Johnson is mentioned, I want that. And then they're also looking for everything that has anything to do with the four cardinal virtues. And in the end, they're going to write a paper after four years. And I saw some, my kids write better than my college students. That's the proof again is in the pudding, right? That's what I'm offering here. Um, I, I'd be happy, by the way, to talk to anybody who wants to talk to me one-on-one, -on -one. just reach out. I've got like I said, lots of Google juice, you know, ChristopherHurtado.com is my personal website, Christopher.Hurtado at Gmail or at Linguistic Solutions, you know, .com. What else do they write? I have, you know, they, they're, they're writing summaries of the readings. There's that too. So I, I like my students to either outline the readings if they're argumentative. So you can show me that you understood the structure of the argument or to at least summarize. Every reading they do, they summarize. And then they talk about it. I should have mentioned that. We spend three hours a week to talk about what we read that week in a seminar style. By the way, again, my wife said, this is unreasonable. They're kids. I said, honey, when the founding fathers were kids, they did all the same reading in the original Greek and Latin. I think they can do this. This is English. You know, come on, we can do this. And we did it. We can, you can do it too. Any other questions? Do you have your children reading on the same books or are they reading at different levels if you have multiple teens? Yeah, so um, my program for the teens, the Models of Excellence program, modelsofexcellence.org is for, we start, the idea is to get in four or five years. So you're going to start probably at 13, whenever you want them to be able to go off to college, right? Work your way backwards from there. The younger kids may be reading the same things, but they may be reading them uh, at a different level. You know, like I said, maybe uh, the older kids have to read the book before they watch the movie, but the younger kids don't. Or maybe the younger kids are reading this so they can listen to that book and not be required to read it. And we do read the same things over and over, right? So right now, everybody's reading The Green Knight. My Sufi master is coming to visit. All of us, all of us, including me, didn't get the green knight. We just didn't get it. And we know that that may be on us. So there's this idea, Mark Edmondson mentions a professor who was a little bit more heavy handed even than I might be. I don't know. I kind of like to be heavy handed sometimes. He says, 
okay, what book, he asked his students, what book that we read this semester, and this is in a great literature class, right, in college, what book did you not like, and what flaw does that point out in you? So when I didn't understand The Green Knight, I thought, well, it's on me to reread it. And all of us felt the same way. And we got my Sufi master who taught The Green Knight, you know, to agree to to cover it with us. And so I've gone and read a couple more translations and I'll read one more before he comes. And then we'll all be able to sit down and talk about it. So if I don't know, I have mentors too, right? I can mentor my kids, but at some point, if I don't know this book, if I don't understand it, I don't have the context for it, then I'm going to reach out. And that's, again, something that I'm, you know, considering offering. I was, I was offering this program for other kids to study with my kids when I first started doing this, but I've asked my mother-in-law to take over with my two youngest. I've finished with the oldest three, and I'm not spending the time doing this anymore. I'm writing a book. I'm reading. I'm podcast. I co-host four weekly podcasts um, starting. I've been co-hosting a couple for over a year, and now I'm starting to co-host two more. So what I could maybe do is work with moms, you know, work with homeschool parents, not, not necessarily with the kids. Podcast names. So two of them are for Latter-day Peace Studies. One is Latter-day Contemplation. The other is Come, uh, Latter-day Peace Studies Presents Come Follow Me. That's doing historical biblical criticism. And then I've got a mystical reading of the same Come Follow Me reading every week from a Sufi perspective. And then the Dune book pod- podcast. Um, I, the uh, Sufi one is called of saints and Sufis of saints and Sufis. And then there's the mysticism of Dune. Those two haven't been published yet. They're we're recording, getting ahead. I think we're coming out with the saints and Sufis in time for the sermon on the Mount. Whenever that is, I'm ahead in my recording of these podcasts. So I'm, I'm always confused because I'm, I'm leading a, a come follow me study group on Sunday. I'm talking to the elders quorum about come follow me reading when we're not talking about in Sunday school, I'm podcasting two different podcasts. I never know where we're supposed to be in the Bible, but I've read it. (laughs) It looks like I'm out of time. Thank you so much for your questions. Thank you for being patient with me as I bungled the the time zone and then got locked out of my own zoom account plus somebody (laughs) else's. And thank you, Jen, for letting me use yours. I will sign out and you can change your password. (laughs) <laughs> I'm not worried about it. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Latter-day Saint Home Educators is a nonprofit, all-volunteer organization dedicated to providing inspiration to homeschool families. We hope you enjoyed this recording. If you are interested in listening to more recordings, or would like to participate in a future conference, please visit our website at ldshe.org.